First of all, the psalmist knows, I've been forgiven by God. That's how God views us. I'm now viewed as forgiven because out of my ledger has come my sin and my filth and my shame and all that burden. And you forgave not only my sin, but the guilt of my sin. I've been liberated from this guilt that's been chasing me that I just couldn't wash away. That's our human experience. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Guilt and was based on Psalm 32. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Years ago, the Oregon Convention Center was constructed in Portland, Oregon. We lived in Portland back in the day when the convention center was being built. There's two glass spires that loom 260 feet over the city. They're illumined at night. It's, it's, it's a beautiful facility. And after years of architectural designs and structural engineer reviews and zoning permits, there was a construction worker near the end of the two-year construction who looked at these beautiful spires and saw some engineers looking and, and asked the question, so I'm... Um, how, how are the spires going to be cleaned? The engineer said, well, hmm, we'll, we'll check on that. And the truth is there had been no provision made in the midst of all of the zoning and all the architectural design and all of the engineering review. There had been no provision to clean the tower, so it had to be retrofit for hundreds of thousands of dollars to finally be able to clean the glass towers. Aren't you grateful that God in eternity past made a plan to cleanse you and me. That we don't stand there and say, you know, I, want, I don't know how in the world we're ever going to receive atonement or grace or forgiveness or hope for our lives. Now, we, we may say, you know, kind of, no duh, Greg, you know, you know, the Christian faith talks a lot about grace, but let's remember how unique that is in human history. Just one example, I was meeting years ago with um, an international student who uh, was coming to our church some, who was part of uh, another religious tradition. And he asked to meet with me, and he was really grappling with, with some overwhelming guilt and remorse and, and regret. And so, so I asked him, you know, in your religious tradition, what's the pathway for you to experience forgiveness, grace, redemption? And he looked down for a long time. And he looked up to me and said, I don't think we have that. I don't know. And so I just asked, would you like me to share with you what the Christian tradition teaches about grace and redemption? He said, oh, yes. And he just soaked it in. See, this is something that we can kind of take casually, but this was revolutionary when Jesus arrived on planet Earth 2,000 years ago. This whole concept of, of grace and redemption and hope and transformation. Uh, we're in the midst of a sermon series, When You Feel Like Giving Up. And today we come to the theme of when you feel like giving up because of guilt. I think sometimes guilt can feel overwhelming. Whether it's guilt or regret or shame or whatever it might be from our past or even things that are happening today. Matter of fact, we can be living life today looking in the rearview mirror and feel about things today that, that are actually things from our past that might be tearing us apart and exploring how we can go from guilt to grace and be liberated by God's grace. 
Now, will you join me in Psalm 32? It's in the Blue Bibles in front of you on page 549. So either in your device or your Bible or the Blue Bibles on page 549, Psalm 32. For those who are worshiping online today, scattered so many places, uh, 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 queue up your, your device or turn in a Bible to Psalm 32. Now, Psalm 32 begins with this little introductory phrase, a masculine. Masculine is a Hebrew word that simply means attention or wisdom. And imagine in the temple, the Hebrew people worshiping, and this was like a footnote, a note for the worship leader to say, masculine. In other words, stop, reflect, pay attention, here comes wisdom. Isn't that powerful? Make sure we don't miss this. And so in... uh, verse 1, and what we're reading is kind of the journal entry of this guy who lived uh, 3,000 years ago. His name is David. And he composed this, this song or this poem out of a journal entry of what he had experienced. And we can learn from his life. Verse 1 of Psalm 32. Blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven or whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person whose sins the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. The blessing of moving from guilt to grace is what the psalmist is writing about. And there's two words the psalmist used to describe how revolutionary God's grace is. Uh, In verse 1, the word forgiven. And in verse 2, the words the Lord does not count sins against us. Let's just briefly explore both of those. First of all, in verse 1, the word forgiven, it's translated from a Hebrew word because remember the Old Testament was written uh, probably 99% of it in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic and the New Testament in Greek, and we then translate it into the languages of the world. In Hebrew, the word forgiven is the Hebrew word nisai. And literally, the etymology of it, all right, the portrait was taking out the trash. Blessed is it when God takes out the trash in our lives. Isn't that a great word picture? Maybe some people have had where you kind of begin to realize... Man, garbage stinks. might be like, you know, under the sink. It might be in, in, in the garage. It, it might be the dumpster. It might be in our car. Where you realize, oh, that's right. I spilled that milkshake. Oh, you know, or whatever it is. And you realize it kind of smells, right? And then we take out the trash. And oh, that's a lot better. And that's a portrait of what God sometimes does in our lives. Because God, through God's Spirit has the love and the courage for us to sometimes kind of reveal there's some stink going on in our lives. And sometimes it can be kind of miserable, but God does that, convicts us out of love for us. I want to say this, and this will come up a few times in this message. God's Spirit never convicts us to condemn us. God's Spirit never says, ha ha, I got you. Man, you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm so ashamed of you. That's not God's Spirit. That's our brokenness within us speaking. Shame. When God's Spirit convicts us, uh, has us kind of sense the stench, you know, of things in our lives, it is always to convict us in order to change us because of God's love for us. Uh, the second word in, in verse 2 is that our sins uh, don't count against us. A compound Hebrew word, lo yashav. It's an accounting term for when a debt is paid. It's the portrait, the etymology is like we have a ledger, an accounting ledger, and, and there's like um, 
one that is like accounts due. And we have some accounts with God that, that sometimes the things we've thought, the appetites of our hearts, some of the things we've said, the way we've treated, you know, some of those kinds of things. And we realize, boy, there's, there's some stuff there. And it's when, instead of an account due, an account payable, lo yashab is like, it no longer counts. It's been moved to the other side of the ledger. It's been paid fully. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God can do for us. Now, now maybe we've had a debt, and we know the stress. Maybe it was our mortgage. Maybe it was credit cards spiraling out of control. Maybe it's school loan debt, you know, whatever it is. And we feel the pressure of that, right? The anxiety of it. And then when it's paid off, if it's paid off, but when it's paid off, what happens? There's just this relief. Oh, that burden's just, just released. And that's the portrait here because we all have this kind of spiritual debt. We all have this sin in our account with God. And sometimes the Spirit causes that to stink, to convict us. But here's the good news. Christ paid that debt. Jesus took the garbage of our sin and filth and brokenness and shame on the cross for us. And it's like it went from our ledger. And if we give our lives over to Christ, if it's real, if it's not just, hey, do this transition, God, and then I'll just go on my way and not change. But if it's genuine, God, I really hunger to follow you. I'm remorseful for my sin. I don't want to continue in this path. God, would you take out of my ledger? And it's like Jesus on the cross was like a ledger. And our sin and filth and brokenness was put upon himself. And he was like the stink of sin on the cross for us. That's how much God loves you and longs for you to be his precious children. And let me remind us, I say this over and over again, it's not because God needs us. God is perfect and self-sufficient. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect community. God has no needs. But God longs for us to be reconciled with God so we might be shaped more godly which means we'll come to life. We will be living out more of how our Creator designed us and then ultimately we'll live in eternity where there will be no more mourning or weeping or crying or shame or guilt or the stench and the filth in eternity. But this is challenging for us because we're human. And because of that, so often we want to hide from God and we can deceive ourselves can't we? And that's why verse 2 finishes with, and in whose spirit is no deceit. What do we do when we sense God's Spirit's convicting us? When we have this sense of guilt or, or we realize, I should be feeling guilty. I'm not, but I should be. Do we deceive ourselves? Do we stay busy to avoid reality? Sometimes when we stay busy, it can cover over all kinds of things, can't it? Or, or, maybe, or maybe what we do is we just make excuses. You know, God, I mean, this happened. I did this. But, well, you know, God, the reason for that. Or we blame others. Well, you know, I, I blame it because of my family or that person. That's why that happened. And those may have been contributing factors, but, but we're still responsible, each of us, for ourselves. And so here's the cost we pay when we avoid reality, when we avoid God, when we harbor sin or brokenness or filth. Look at verse 3, because this is exactly what the psalmist David did. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away with my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He says, when I kept silent, so there was a season, it was about a year, 
that David was deceiving himself and denying before God. That's easy for us to do, isn't it? Why is it that we think if we avoid God, we keep busy, we just kind of avoid, that sometime after a while when we come back, maybe God will have forgotten, right? It's like, oh, didn't he do something? I forgot, Greg. Okay, right? No, it doesn't happen. And we also know when we avoid something that needs to be addressed in any relationship, rather it's our health, avoid it, what happens? Hmm. In a marriage, avoid what needs to be talked about. It isn't like you come back later like, oh, everything's smoothed out. No, what happens? It's worse. And the same is true with us and God, where we get more hardened and it becomes that much harder for us to come back. And that's what the author is experiencing. Matter of fact, the author describes it as groaning. I was groaning all day long. Translated from the Hebrew word shagah, the etymology is a, a, a lion that's wounded and roaring. Isn't that powerful? He was like a lion, and David had been a shepherd. He, he, he'd seen lions. He'd seen animals suffer. He says, it was like I was an animal crying out, suffering, because I was holding on to this. And it was like a rain cloud 24-7 oppressing me. Matter of fact, in verse 3, he says it's all day. In verse 4, it's day and night. He couldn't, ex- he couldn't escape the guilt. Do you remember in Shakespeare's Macbeth? After they murdered several people, but, but there were three especially that, that began to haunt them. Um, I think Duncan was the one that haunted Lady Macbeth the most. And so one night she wakes up, she's been sleepwalking, she wakes up, and she's trying to wash spots from her hands, and she's trying to shake them off, but, but they aren't really there. And what we realize is she's trying to shake off the guilt. She's burdened by what she's done, and she just can't shake it. And that's what's happening with David in, in this psalm. I, I, I just couldn't shake it. Sometimes we might feel like that. But I just can't shake this, this guilt or this burden or this shame or whatever. I just, it, it just seems like I can't shake it. Matter of fact, another description the psalmist gives us in verse 4, it was like I was sapped in the heat of summer. This was written in the arid Middle East where there's no air conditioning, Okay. What he's saying is, I was exhausted by guilt. I was sapped by my guilt. Maybe you felt sapped at times because of guilt or regret or the fear that someone's going to find out or the fear that this is going to catch up with me or the fear that this is going to be damaging. That's a horrible place to live, isn't it? It's awful. It's like we can't shake it. But here's the hinge. Here's the transition. And we're actually going to wrap it up with several things in verse 5. Because this is the hinge. Then, in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. What a transition. Then, then I began to be honest with God. Then I began to be real with myself. And the psalmist moves from conviction to confession. He comes clean with God, comes clean with himself. And look at the impact. You forgave the guilt of my sin. There's two things there that happen. First of all, the psalmist knows, I've been forgiven by God. That's how God views this. I'm now viewed as forgiven because out of my ledger has come my sin and my filth and my shame and all that burden. And it's been nailed to the cross 
of Christ. God now views me, I am forgiven. But it goes beyond that because it also, the psalmist also recognized, you forgave not only my sin, but the guilt of my sin. I've been liberated from this guilt that's been chasing me that I just couldn't wash away. That's our human experience. Now, I wanted to find something, and this is, if I could only make one point in this whole sermon, this would be it. So if you're going to fall asleep, wait for this first, okay? But, and you online, stay awake in there, okay? Because I know you're sitting in your bed, your comfy pajamas, but here we go. So, um, there is God's guilt and destructive guilt. This is hugely important. It's like a rubric for us to look through. God's guilt is the Holy Spirit's conviction. And, and God's guilt is always for unconfessed sins, the things we have not addressed with God. I remember years ago, an alarm just shrilled in our house, and it was this, this, this loud alarm, and um, it, it wasn't any of the um, smoke, smoke detectors and and so we followed the sound, and in our basement was a shrill alarm that we didn't know was there. In the basement, kind of up high, there was this alarm. There was just shrilling. And it said, septic alarm. We were like, oh, we're grateful for the septic alarm. Because we called the septic company, and they came out, and they said, oh, there's a little float in there. Isn't that gross? There's a little float. And when it hits just about maximum... The alarm goes off because otherwise it would start backing up into your house. And we're like, oh, thank God for that shrill alarm. We hated that alarm. None of us like when the alarms go off, do we? But they can save lives or at least help us from having a lot of stuff back up. And that's, that's what God's guilt, that's what the Holy Spirit's conviction is. It's like God sets the alarm off within us. And our first reaction can be, I, I just don't want to address this. I, I just, let's, but that can come at a high cost for us. We don't lean in and say, okay, what is this? God, would you show me what this is? But here's one of the ways that we can discern. God, is this your conviction? Because this is unconfessed sin. These are unresolved things. We need to address this together. And remember, the Holy Spirit's conviction is never to condemn us, but always to call the alarm why to protect us and change us. Now, destructive guilt is when some alarm goes off or whatever it is, and we realize, oh, wait a minute, I've already confessed this to God. I've already addressed this. But somehow either Satan attacking us or just our own fallenness and brokenness, we can just download and replay that and replay that and replay that and and, and that's destructive. And it's like God's Spirit says, no, 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 that's been forgiven. It's been nailed to God. Learn from it. Change from it. But stop beating yourself up. Stop condemning yourself. It's been nailed to the cross. Now let's move forward and learn and change from this. So that's one of the key metrics for us to ask. Is this the Holy Spirit? Because it's unconfessed. It's not addressed. Or is this destructive where I'm just replaying and replaying and downloading stuff? And when that happens and we realize, no, I've confessed this, Christ has taken this, that's when it's time to say, you know, Satan, I'm sorry. But uh, this has been forgiven, it's been nailed to the cross, so why don't you just leave, all right? Or when we realize within us, no, I need to play a different, I need to download a different message. And it's the message of, no, this has been forgiven. I'm going to learn from it. 
I'm going to grow from it, but this has been forgiven. I am not condemned. Remember Romans 8, there's now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So, so the psalmist goes on toward the end of verse 5 and confess and, and shares, I confessed to the Lord. Now this is really important because we do have to ask, why do we confess? Do we just confess to feel a little better? It's like a little therapeutic, oh, I confess that and I feel a little better. Or we're really confessing it because it's to our advantage. I better confess this and then, it'll, right? That doesn't change us, Okay. That's just doing what's to our advantage. But we, when we confess to God, that's when we confess, God, I've, I've transgressed, I've stepped, I've done damage. And God, thank you that you forgive me. That's what changes us. When we truly confess to the Lord, which often will lead for us to do confession and reconciliation with others when we're able. Notice also that at the end of verse 5, the psalmist says, and I did not cover. I stopped covering up. You know, ever since Adam and Eve in the garden, they were in perfection. Sin entered the human race. All of a sudden, oh, we're naked. See, their eyes, before they had pure eyes. And then all of a sudden, what was beautiful before became shameful. And what did they do immediately? Tried to cover themselves up, and they tried to hide from God. We've been trying to cover up and hide from God ever since. But here's what's powerful. See, crucifixion was the most public and painful and shameful death. The Romans searched the known world and found out of, out of, out of Babylon, Tammuz was a god of the ground, so they raised people up so Tammuz wouldn't be offended because they wouldn't kill people against the ground. Crucifixion, the Romans said, that's effective. And they brought it into the Roman Empire. And a person was raised up naked and fully shamed. Now, the Greeks and Romans, nudity was no big deal. To the Hebrews, huge shame. See, Jesus was raised up in, in complete humility and shame. Sin was uncovered before the world in Jesus. Sin was exposed so that we could be liberated and no longer feel shame and expose our sins to the God who already knows. And what can happen then is we hate the sin within us, but we don't hate ourselves. See the difference? I hate that sin and I don't want to repeat that, but you know what? I don't hate myself because I'm a beloved child of God and my sins have been forgiven and God's Spirit is walking with me his beloved. So let's just wrap this up to ask, why do we hide from God? What is it that, why, why do we hide? We all do at different times. Well, you don't, but I do. Okay, so let's talk about it. Okay, therapy for me. But maybe you might do this once in a while. Why do we hide, hide from God? First of all, sometimes I think it's pride. We're, we want to be right, don't we? Matter of fact, sometimes it, it can be so counterintuitive or, or we can be almost ashamed to say, God, I... I, I sinned, I was wrong. That breaks some of our pride. Second of all is trust. Trust in the character of God. Because many of us have experienced broken trust in this world. And what happens then is we have a difficult time trusting anyone, don't we? And because of that, we have a difficult time trusting. Or we've approached someone for grace 
And they've got angry back at us. And we're like, I'm never going there again. But you see, God is holy. God is different. We can trust God that we can come to the God and be real who will not condemn us. I think a third reason why we hide from God is fear. Maybe we've never really been honest with anybody before. And so the thought of being honest with God is extremely difficult. It's like we almost need to train ourselves because we can learn to trust God, who's holy, who's perfect, who's pure. Train ourselves to be real and to trust. And that can also train us to begin to trust carefully in our world. And then finally, I think another reason why we hide from God and cover up is because we know we're unworthy. See, we know ourselves. And we think, you know, if you really knew me, if you really knew a lot, I mean, you wouldn't want to be with me, right? Because we know ourselves. And yet God is the one who fully knows us and still fully loves us. You know, we are more loved than we'll ever fathom. We're more deeply fallen and sinful than we'll ever admit but we're more completely forgiven than we'll ever fully grasp. So wrapping it up with a little kind of a Scottish fairy tale, all right? It's called The Black Bull of Norway. It's one of those novellas that, that maybe was assigned when you were in high school or, or college literature class, and it's something where you are like, ah, but then you read it and you're like, wow, that was really good. The Black Bull of Norway... Of course, you know, it starts off with a valiant prince, right? So there's a valiant prince, and he goes into battle, and he's filled with guilt because of the death and the wreckage on the battlefield. And he comes back, and, and he can't wash the bloodstains out of his garment. And so he declares throughout the kingdom, whoever can wash the stain out is someone who has a pure heart, and that will become the princess, I'll marry her, and then become the queen, because that must be a person with a pure heart. And so in this bucket, this servant girl, as the garment is passed around, sees this, scrubs it completely clean. But you see, she has no idea. She's a little slave girl, uh, a young woman who's a slave. She has no idea about what's going on in the kingdom. So, of course, there has to be like the wicked stepmother, right? And so the wicked woman sees this and takes her daughter, goes to the prince, and says, look, my daughter was able to clean it. So they become engaged. But through the engagement, the prince begins to become suspicious. Like, I don't think she's the one who cleaned this, okay? And finally, he learns the truth, and he knows that it's this slave young woman, and they become married, and they live happily ever after. But here's what the prince says. This is what this is all about. He says, whoever can remove the stain is my true love. Whoever can remove the stain is my true love. There's only one in human history who can remove the stain. No other God, no other deity, even, even declared to come to earth and become one of us, to be raised in, in, in poverty and become a refugee and be profiled by the state and spend time with marginalized people which offended the religious establishment. He sacrificed on the cross to take our sins. See, Jesus didn't say, here's the rules, I hope you make it. Jesus came to us to show us who God is and to rescue us. Whoever can remove the stain, that's my true love. That's why I love Jesus. 
and want to follow him all the days of my life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamerous.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a wonderful day.